industrial accidents, ancient Solving poisoners, crime, poison prevention. Spills. This is Toxic History. Dr. David Lochran is going to be speaking with you about the angel makers of Nagyarev. Maria Zsolzsart had a problem. Well, actually, she had a couple problems, but one thing at a time. And problem number one was that her husband was back. The Great War had begun just a year prior, and he had already been injured and sent home from the front. Apparently, a shell had exploded near him and rendered him blind. Since he'd been back, he had been bitter, angry, short-tempered, and abusive. That's not to say this was a large departure from his usual, but it was worse than it had ever been. Shell shock, they would call it, a product of wartime trauma, but to Maria, it was just something that made her already difficult life more difficult. Life here was often hard scrabble at the best of times. Nagarev was a small farming village many miles from Budapest, or much of anything for that matter. Disconnected from just about everything but the next village down the river, there's very little to do and very little in the way of escape from the humdrum of daily life and grinding poverty. The muddy streets were occupied primarily by chickens that pecked for unseen bugs in the cold dirt, and the men trudging to and from the fields. The men of the village worked hard, but drank harder. Maria and most of her friends endured regular abuse when their husbands returned from the pub, blind drunk and angry about the difficulty of their own lives. Maria rolled her eyes at the snoring man next to her in bed. Now he was both blind drunk and actually blind. Maria was 27, but she felt so much older. Marriage in Nagarev, as it was across the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was arranged by parents based on convenience and financial advantage. Women had no say in the matches, and many ended up in cold and distant relationships with often much older men who took no part in the child-rearing or homemaking that consumed Maria's every waking moment. The war had only made things worse in the village. What little resources had flowed into the village during peacetime had mostly dried up. Similarly, exporting their crops had become more and more difficult. Most of the men, like her husband, had been conscripted to fight for the empire against the Russians leaving the women to at once care for their homes and children and make ends meet. As much of a boor as he was, at least her husband had kept food on their table and some money in their pockets. Now neither of those things was assured as he steadily drank their savings and could provide for nothing in his disabled state. Maria had thought many times since her husband had returned that she might be better off alone. The thought had first slipped through her mind some weeks ago while she dodged his drunken swings as he railed at her for one thing or another. She had initially pushed the thought aside. Divorce was unheard of in this place, and while the men often died much before the women, generally a combination of their difference in age, alcohol, and the occasional bad-tempered farm animal or rogue plow blade, Maria estimated she had many years to go before she was released from this domestic prison. But the idea had gotten stuck, like a splitting wedge stuck in a particularly sappy piece of timber. She could not get it out. More recently, it had begun to infiltrate her dreams, in those moments, she was freer and happier than she could remember being, only to awaken each morning to this gray, pleasureless existence, with this oaf of a man snoring next to her. God, the snoring. In fact, it was the snoring that had so rudely awoken her from her reverie on this particular day well before dawn. Pleasureless was actually not entirely accurate, she thought. There was Michael. Michael Ambrose was the cause of at least some of her marital discord. She had been seeing Michael regularly while her husband had been away at the front. Sometimes they rendezvoused at his place, sometimes at hers. It was one of those times at her house that her husband had come home unexpectedly, and now everything was ruined. That, of course, was problem number two. She wasn't the only one trying to muck some fun out of the drudgery of their existence while the men were gone to war. Nagarev, remote and unexceptional, had been deemed a fine place for a POW camp. 
and captured Russian soldiers had started arriving there since Austro-Hungary had entered the war. With the void left by the village men, many young women in the village had begun affairs with the young soldiers. Out of boredom, out of spite, to satisfy unfulfilled needs, the list of reasons was varied. For many women, this was a satisfying and largely unheard of reversal of gender power roles, and one they did not relish giving up. These affairs would continue throughout the war and cause much marital strife when the men returned from battle. <laughs> of course, strife wouldn't be the only product of these relationships. Pregnancies occurred and generally needed to be sorted out before the men returned. After all, a child was much harder to explain than a men's shirt left in the wash. Not to mention, even if these pregnancies were kept, the newborns might die in the postpartum period or starve to death after. Much like marriage, the women of the village had little to no say in when or how many children they might have. Pregnancy was hard in this place, childbirth could be dangerous, and the birth of a child was not always a joyous occasion, as it just increased the number of mouths to feed. For this, the, woman, the women had begun turning to the village midwife, Susanna Fezekas, who they called Auntie Susie. Fezekas had arrived by herself in the village in 1911, offering her services as a midwife, but rapidly took on most medical services in the community, including abortion, which was otherwise devoid of medical care. Her background was murky, and the rumor had it that her husband had died under uncertain circumstances, but nobody bothered to question her personal life when she offered such valuable services. Rather than watch their children suffer a slow death of starvation about which they could do very little, the village women came to Auntie Susie. Sometimes if the pregnancy was too far along or abortion would be too dangerous, she would recommend the women give birth, and then she would stir some tincture into the child's bottle, and soon the child's cries would cease. Of course, abortion was quite illegal in 1900s Hungary, and Madame Fagit Fazekas would be arrested at least 10 times be between 1911 and 1921, but each time she would be acquitted. Generally, the judges appreciated the predicament of the village women and understood that jailing the only healthcare provider in the village was likely to be disastrous. What was Madame Fazekas's tincture? A simple concoction of water stewed with arsenic laced flypaper. Fazekas assured the women that this tincture was untraceable. The death itself was rather innocuous. Besides, who would go looking for a reason for a newborn's death when there were so many? Anyway, Maria decided that this was the day she would go to Fazekas's house. She would buy some of her tincture, and then she would slip it into her husband's dinner. Then she would be free. Free of her loudish husband and free to pursue her affair. Maria wasn't the first to enlist Fazekas's assistance in ridding herself of an unwanted husband. That title would go to Mrs. Takash who had finally had enough of her drunken abusive husband. She had fed him Mrs. Fazekas's tincture in his meal, and he had died the very evening. It was generally accepted that the man had died of a heart attack. Madame Fazekas was more than willing to help the village women solve their marital problems. She would say, if there's a problem with him, I have a simple solution. Next had come Maria Cardos, who poisoned her sickly 23-year-old son with arsenic-laden soup because he had become too much of a burden for her to care for. She then went on to kill her husband as well. Frau Polinka followed suit by poisoning her husband. She slipped the arsenic tincture into his meals, enough to cause gastrointestinal distress, but not to kill. At least not immediately. She would then run to the market to get stomach medicine for her ailing husband, but despite the treatment, his condition worsened until he died. Of course, Frau Polinka dumped the medication out and filled the bottles with more arsenic water, this worked so well that she went on to kill her parents, two brothers, her sister-in-law, and aunt. In this way, she inherited a tidy sum in a nice house with acreage. 
Julianne Lipka killed seven members of her family, including her husband, and then shared her poison with her neighbor out of pity, telling her, if nothing else helped her marriage, to try that. Maria herself, after successfully poisoning her husband, would go on to later poison her lover five years later. These angel makers, as they would be dubbed, had started as a group of women seeking empowerment and escape from abusive relationships. Initially, they had been widow makers in the truest sense, with rules of a sort dictating who could join the poisoning and who could be targeted. However, over time, their targets and motivations strayed. Parents, in-laws, children, eventually no one was guaranteed safety. Reasons for the killing, killings were often vague and variable, including greed, accelerated inheritance, reducing the numbers of mouths to feed, unburdening themselves of frail or ailing relatives, and simple convenience. Then there was also Rose Hoiba and Rosalie Sebastian, who murdered their husbands because they had simply grown bored of them. Year after year, as men returned from the war, more and more otherwise seemingly healthy men in the village died suddenly and mysteriously. Even after the war had ended, the mysterious deaths continued. By 1929, Nagarev had become known as the murder district, and men in and around the village were frightened for their lives. <clears throat> Even the 10-year regional census from the time was noted to show a birth rate exceeding the death rate by only 36, whereas previously had been closer to 360. By this time, over the span of nearly 20 years, 100 women in Nagarev and the neighboring village had joined in the killing and claimed an un an estimated 300 lives. In October 1929, the regional police chief received an anonymous letter pointing the finger at Fizekas. When police arrived in the village, they found the place shattered by fear. The authorities swiftly began exhuming bodies of the mysteriously deceased. This continued until dozens of bodies had been unearthed dis despite an attempt by some of the wid widows to rearrange the gravestones. Doctors said about <clears throat> turning the cemetery's vault into a forensic morgue, and it was said the graveyard took on the look of a battlefield from the recently finished war with open graves cratering the area. Fazakis and the other angel makers were to be proven wrong in their belief that their crimes were untraceable. Arsenic poison was implicated post-mortem by analysis of the fingernails of some of the disinterred, which revealed characteristic discoloration. Remnant tissues could also be analyzed by the Marsh test, which had been developed nearly a century prior using acid, heat, and zinc to reveal shiny arsenic precipitate. Out of the 50 bodies that had been exhumed, 46 of them were found to contain arsenic. Some graves were even found to contain vials containing residual arsenic, apparently a way for the guilty to rid themselves of evidence. <clears throat> With the arrival of the authorities and mounting evidence, the women quickly turned on their leader. However, when the officers came to Fazekas' home to arrest her, they found her dead after apparently drinking her own poison. They did find vials of arsenic poison and stacks of flypaper. At the later trial, a grocer from a nearby town testified that more flypapers were sold in Nagarev than the rest of Hungary. All told, nearly 100 women were arrested. 26 of them were put on trial. In the courtroom, some of the women turned on each other. Many of them expressed fear of Miss Zakis, believing her to have supernatural and evil powers. Some maintained their innocence, and <clears throat> innocence while others freely and unrepentantly admitted to their crimes. Ultimately, eight of the women were sentenced to death, 12 were imprisoned, and seven of those received life sentences. Following the trials and sentencing, life in Nagarev slowly returned to normalcy. Interviews from people who were alive at the time suggest that after the killings, the men of the region began treating their wives much better. Decades later, historians still puzzle over why a group of housewives in rural Hungary turned into a cabal of poisoners 
and why their victims and motivations shifted so remarkably. And that is the story of the Angel Makers of Nagaroo.